Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Here's what he says. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle wrote this to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. He said this, For this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love, and a sound mind or self-control. Amen. Well, over the last several weeks, Pastor Tony's been talking to us about our love relationship with God and how that affects our heart. it's, It's a relational thing. It's not a religious thing. It's a relational thing, and it affects our heart. It comes from our heart. Well, I want to follow up this week with this message that says, God is calling each of us with a special calling. The title of this morning's sermon is Special Calling. I'm here to tell you, according to God's Word and according to Peter, all of us who have received Jesus Christ have received a special gift. He said, use whatever gift, not if you have one. And as we heard last week, serving each other is what God wants us to do. And there are so many different ways to do that. Today, we're going to have the opportunity to observe firsthand the demonstration of a child of God answering God's call on his life to serve God and to serve his people. Going to get a a personal firsthand view of this. This morning, we're going to affirm a man that God has already called. This man is Ronnie Phelps, and this service that we're in is an ordination service. As a body of believers, we recognize God's call on his life and affirm this man to the office of deacon to use the gift or gifts that God has given him to serve this body of believers. In other words, to build up the body. It's what we've been talking about. You see, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 16, he said, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you. How many of you ever been on the ball field and, you know, there were choosing teams and you were picked last? That's very sad. In fact, sometimes I looked at you and go, well, okay, we'll take you. That's not the case with God the Father. He has chosen each one of us to be his. You see, if he doesn't choose us, we don't come. Scripture tells us that unless the Father draws us, we cannot be redeemed. So he, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed or ordained you that you could go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. See, God calls and appoints. We simply recognize that call and affirm that calling. That's what this service is about. 
throughout Scripture, men were set apart by God's work by the laying on of hands. And the, the laying on of hands is done to invoke God's blessing on that person. Let me give you two scriptural examples of that. Acts chapter 13, verse 3. Paul and Barnabas were being commissioned to go out and and do mission work wherever God led them. And, And it says, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. They they commissioned them. They prayed God's blessing and power on them and that God would use them, and he did. And then Paul writes to 1 Timothy, his son in Christ. He said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, he says, Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. See, the elders prayed over young Timothy. And young Timothy was in his first pastorate. He was a young man. And he was pastor in his first church when Paul wrote him these letters. This ordination service symbolizes God's call to ministry, much like our water baptism symbolizes my decision, your decision to follow our Savior, to die to our old self, to be raised, to follow him in newness of life, much like the symbolism when we take the Lord's Supper next week. And we symbolize that's a, that, that bread is a symbol of his broken body. That juice is a symbol of his shed blood. Well, this ordination symbolizes God's call to ministry. It symbolizes both the candidate's commitment of himself to the ministry in the will of God and the church's approval of this candidate for the ministry. You know, the term deacon in the New Testament means minister or servant. Oftentimes, we've gotten confused in the American church about that. Sometimes the deacons in American churches become turf lords and they run pastors out of town because they're given the wrong idea of what a deacon is. A deacon is a minister or a servant. It's a servant role. No special graces and no particular authority are bestowed in the act of this ordination. The office of deacon is not one of authority, but rather of example and servanthood, as are or should be all positions of leadership in the church. Because of the way Jesus did it, he was a servant leader. That means he lived and gave us an example by the way he lived. Well, I want you, if you have your Bibles, and if you don't, I want you to start bringing them. Hello. We've been talking about this a little bit this week with the staff. And, and, you know, we want to encourage everybody to read Bibles, but a lot of times we don't read out of the Bible. So I'm going to read, but I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts. Okay? Acts is in the New Testament. I know most of you are familiar. Acts, the book of Acts. This is a recording of how the disciples acted after the Holy Spirit got a hold of them. We've had a sermon series about it. Acts chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning. And uh, what we're going to be talking about as you're looking that up is this is where the first deacons were called and ordained. And we're also going to see in the scripture as we read it why they were needed. 
what role they filled in edifying the body of Christ. So reading together from Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Verse 2, and the twelve summoned the twelve apostles. Notice here in verse 1, now in these days when the disciples were increasing, um, as Jesus accepted, as people accepted Jesus, they became his disciples. Okay, and as that number was increasing, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. In other words, got the family together. It was pretty big by this time. And said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they laid and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Okay. So, where were they when they were called? Well, they were in this new, growing New Testament church in Jerusalem. So, this is where, you know, you ever want to say, well, where did deacons start? Well, this is where they started. In the new church, the growing church in Jerusalem. Well, why? Why were they called? It's always good to know why we're doing something. And really, a poor answer is, well, that's the way we've always done it. Sometimes you're not sure where that started but it's not working for you. Well, why did they call? Why were they called? The church was growing so rapidly that some of the people weren't being cared for, and especially it identifies that they weren't being fed. I refer to them as MIAs, missing in action. And that's not okay, folks. It's never okay. See, a lot of people say, well, what's, what's the value of joining the congregation? I'll tell you what it is. You will no longer be missing in action. You will be signed one of these deacons and or care group leaders to take care of you. They become your first line of contact so that you, when you're gone for two weeks on vacation and you come back, somebody's going to notice you were gone and that it mattered. Amen? That's important. It's kind of like you court your wife or you court your husband and you finally get them to say yes and then you tell them something like this, okay, Now, honey, I told you I loved you when we got married. I'll tell you if that changes. That's kind of the way churches treat members. We we want them to come in, and then once they're in, it's just kind of like, okay, good luck. And listen, it works both ways, folks. It works both ways. I can tell you, even though your deacons are spirit-filled, they don't have a glass ball. They cannot tell you, or when you're in the hospital, or when you need a need, unless you let them know. Same thing with your pastors. I was in the hospital, and nobody called me. Did anybody know you were in the hospital? Come on now, this works both ways. We got to be committed to each other. And that's what this, this whole idea of creating deacons within the church was to make sure that everybody was cared for and knew it. 
In other words, some people's care was falling through their cracks, which is not acceptable. You could become a member of the body of Christ. That's when the real care should begin. But the unmet needs that were mentioned here were actually tangible needs. You know, our Lord said, if a person comes up to you and says, I'm hungry, you don't tell them, go be blessed. You feed them. And I can tell you, Baptists like to eat. So do some other denominations. These were tangible needs. It was actually when it says they were missing out of the distribution. It was talking about the food distribution. Some of the widows weren't being cared for, and some were. That's not okay. But it wasn't because of, of just belligerence. It was the fact that they couldn't keep track of them. The church was growing too fast. Well, they were ordained so the apostles could continue to preach and teach the gospel. And what is their calling? To equip the saints for service. We've been through this. And we're going to keep going through this. Because every one of you needs to be serving. Amen? You've got a gift. Don't you sit on it. We need it. God's work needs it. All right. So we, we talked about where they were called. We talked about why. What were their responsibilities? See, this is where uh, in our modern day deacons gotten a little confused. Yeah. The, here, here's what the scripture tells us that their responsibilities were. To oversee the care of the growing number of converts and members of the church. Because see, the scripture tells us as God was adding to the church daily, and there was so many to keep track. There's no way that I, as your pastor, or even two or three pastors, can keep track of everybody in the church. Listen, I love to visit in the hospital. I'm quite comfortable with being in the hospital. So hospital visitation is not a problem for me. But I can't only be one place at a time. They were to make sure everyone was fed and cared for and to meet both the physical and emotional needs of the membership. Did you know that the number one problem in, in churches is the same as the number one problem in the culture today? It's called a lack of communication. That's the number one thing that causes problems for all of us. But I thought you knew. I didn't. Well, what were the qualifications mentioned? There was no degrees mentioned here. No great training like the Paul the Apostle had had. No, here's what it said. They were to be men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Those two run together because wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit. And how do we get to be full of the Holy Spirit? Well, he's all there, amen? All of him comes in upon salvation. It's when we get to letting him control more and more of us. You ever heard that term? Oh, you're just full of it. I don't mind people saying that. I'm hoping they're saying that I'm just full of the Holy Spirit and they can sense that and see that instead of, you know, what else. Well, see, as the church grew and spread out over the known world, Paul the Apostle gave some additional guidelines for the office of deacon. He wrote them, and again, he sent them to young Pastor Timothy. And they're in 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you want to look up 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. You say, well, you know, how do you pick and how do you know who to pick and, and, and why, is it, why is it men? 
Well, here we go. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. Verse 8, deacons. Now, see, he's been talking to Paul, or to Timothy, about um, the clergy, the pastors, the elders, okay? Now he says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how you ought or how one ought to behave in the household of God. You see, They'd never done this before. And Paul the Apostle, God used Paul the Apostle to give them some, some leadership and some direction of how things should be done according to God's order. So you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Well, let's take a closer look here at what we've just read, okay? First of all, deacons must be dignified. Well, that word dignified here is talking about his behavior. His demeanor is such that it's deserving of respect. Any ever work for a boss that says, you will respect me? Yeah. Yeah, okay, time will tell. (laughs) Respect is earned. It's observed. It's hard to get and easy to lose. Next thing it says, he's not double-tongued. I think we got a an English term called forked tongue. <laughs> you speak out both sides of your mouth. Yeah. His speech is to be purposeful, to be straightforward and God-honoring. Not addicted to much wine. <laughs> I put that much wine in, 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 in italics. See, much wine means poor judgment. You know, when he's talking about wine in... in Bible, he's talking about alcoholic drinks. Now, if you carefully read our Constitution, there are no thou shalt not drink alcoholic beverages. But it does say that thou art to be wise. And the Scripture says, written by supposedly one of the wisest men who ever lived, Solomon, who definitely tried everything, said, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. If you're not wise, what are you? Foolish. That's a good choice. What's the first thing to go when alcohol affects the human brain? Discretion. Okay. All right. Next thing he says, not to be greedy, but honest in all things. Not just in, in, in what happens here at church, but in his family out in the community. Well, you're a deacon Where? Well, then you need to treat me better. That should never be the case. We're deacon here. We're deacon everywhere. That's why I say when you wear your T-shirt for four corners, behave yourself. I love my church. Where do you go? I'm not going there. 
I'm hoping we wear them more than just a church, by the way. All right. Oh, here we go. Hold fast to the mystery of the faith. What does that mean? He's to live a life of compliance to God's word, not a life of defiance. This next one says, be the husband of one wife. That's got to be such an issue, such a thorn in the flesh. Even amongst our denomination, it's about a 50-50 split. Uh, you take your 10 top Bible teachers in our, in our denomination, and five will say, if you've been divorced, it means that you can't serve. And the other five said, but that's not what it says. I'll tell you what it says right out of the Greek, to be a one-woman man. That means that you uh, are dedicated to your wife. So in our church, just because you've been divorced previously doesn't mean that you have experienced the unforgivable sin. What is the unforgivable sin? Blasphemy or neglecting the Holy Spirit. And that makes sense. If I neglect the Holy Spirit, how can I be redeemed? How can I be saved? How can I be guided? And then last it says, he's to manage his household. Ladies, hang on to your chairs. This implies that he leads his family. That doesn't mean he doesn't listen to his wife, but he leads his family. His wife doesn't lead his family. He leads his family. You know why? Because that's the way God ordained it. And that's the way God is going to hold us as men responsible. You know why women have taken over so much? Because we sat on our haunches and led them. They've become pastors in churches. They've become uh, teachers. They've become evangelists because men neglected their call, and men are going to answer for it. So I believe here what God is saying in this scripture, manage your household. You are the priest of your family, and you are responsible for the well-being of your family spiritually, emotionally, and physically. For he who does not provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. What does the deacon at Four Corners Baptist Church do? Well, they serve in these following ways. I just want to make sure everybody knows. What does that deacon do? What is he supposed to do? Well, first of all, they're to assist the pastors with the care of the congregation. And in doing so, they will do these following things. Carefully and attentively watch and listen to the congregation and identify areas of need or concern. to serve as, as cheerleaders for the ongoing vision and ministries of the church. If you, look, these aren't yes men, but these are men that are following the same spirit that God is leading the pastors with, that he's going to lead his people with, and we all need to be on the same page. So we all need to be listening to the same spirit. So they, they need to have this vision. That's part of the, the vision of the church. What's the direction that God's leading us? We don't know what all the future holds, but we know who holds the future. So let's stay in tune with him. Another thing is personally, each will care for five families. Some churches I've been in, they've had 25 families. I want to tell you, you can't take care of them any better than I can take care of 100 families. That's a lot of people. Because sometimes a family's one, sometimes they're like five or six. So each Deacon is assigned five families, but also the oversight and assistance to help our congregational 
care group leaders with the care of their families. We established congregational care group leaders several years back, and here's why. Because we want to make sure that all the members of this church are truly cared for. And you know what, women? You can do a darn good job doing that. And some of our women are even better at keeping track of those details. Birthdays, anniversaries, babies being born. You know, us guys are like, my wife writes the calendar, thankfully, so I know, you know, uh, whose birthday it is and when. And, and so, but we don't ordain women because it says they're to be the husband of one wife. And I'm not going to go there with you. Just because the world says you don't have to be a man to marry a woman. This is what this is saying. Same thing with overseers. That's why we don't ordain women to the ministry as pastors and deacons because the word of God doesn't say so. Not saying you couldn't do it. See, there's a big difference in authority and leadership. Who's the, who's the, the top authority in our church? Thank you. I'm glad you didn't say me. Because <laughs> 14 years of preaching has gone right down the drain here. Jesus Christ is the authority. I'm the under-shepherd. And our associate pastors are under-shepherds. And then our deacons are under-shepherds. And I thank God for our care group leaders. You see, as a church grows, one of the reasons we did is as a church continues to grow, a lot of times, you know, deacons aren't, we don't, they, they don't fall out of trees, I can tell you. It's hard to find men who feel that call and are willing to serve. And so a lot of times a church will grow and, and what happens is instead of being able to find more deacons, the deacons get more families. And pretty soon what, ha- what was happening in the early church happens. We start losing track of people. So we said, well, there's no reason why care group leaders couldn't be a, a lady or a husband and a wife team or a guy. And, and their responsibility is the same thing, to take care of five families. So when you join the church, Janetta, she just joined and she'd been assigned a deacon and or a care group leader, and that care group leader has a deacon that's working with them, and that deacon has a pastor who's working with them. Now, my, my cell phone's on 24-7, but there's just times that I can only handle so much. And I know Pastor Tony feels the same way, Pastor Larry, Pastor Roly, you call us, if you need us, we're there. But sometimes some of these situations could be taken care of with your care group leader or your deacon. So that's the way to plug in. That's the way to plug in. Assist. The other thing, assist the pastors in conducting the Lord's Supper and believers' baptism. Assist the pastors with home and hospital visitation. Sometimes we need to go visit. Sometimes people can't be here. We have some shut-ins. With people in the hospital. And I love how our deacons and, and care group leaders are, are following up with our families. And then last but not least, set an example by serving in a ministry within the church using the gift that God has given them. Now, please note that all of these things that I just listed require a servant's 
attitude. You say, well, how, how do you pick deacons? How do you know who to pick? We pick, we begin to watch, and we begin to look for men who are already serving as a deacon, doing the things that deacons would do, like helping people to get into the church, helping to find a chair, helping uh, to fix things around the church, just helping, helping, helping. And then we want to know that they, they are, they're true to the faith, that they understand the Word of God. It doesn't mean that they have to be able to preach. They need to be able to know what we, or what God's word uh, says here and what we teach here so they can share and they can pray with you. So how do we pick deacons? Well, we look for men who are already serving. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to take this opportunity now to introduce you to uh, our candidate for deacon, Mr. Ronnie Phelps. I've asked Ronnie to share his testimony of how he came to know Jesus Christ, how he gave his life to Christ, and what Christ means to him today. Ronnie's been, Ronnie and Carolyn have been in the church for quite a while now. Yes. And uh, we, we loved him, and I've been watching this man. I know he loves the Lord. Ronnie, share with us your testimony. You know, as I was thinking about this and what I wanted to say, I need to okay. Uh, I thought, you know, each and every one of us could give a testimony of the bumps that they've had in life, the heartaches that they've had in life. And I'm not any different. I've had the bumps and I've had the heartaches. But I'm very fortunate to know that the Lord has always taken care of me. He's blessed me so greatly. Even when I was in the bumps and I went back on him, he was still there. Because there were times when I had to turn to him and he always answered. Now, when I was young, small, I don't remember any time that I wasn't in Sunday school. I had a godly grandmother that felt very strongly with the idea that if you bring a child up when he's young, he may fall away, but he'll always return. And she felt very strongly about that. And she made sure, and I just, I might say I was the lucky one. I was one of the favorite grandsons. And she made sure I went to church. My family never went to church, but she made sure I did. And after a few years or years later, she took my four children and made sure that they went to church. But God has been good to me. And I was married young, and our marriage only lasted 11 years. I had four children, and that was a blessing. Uh, but we didn't live for the Lord. We never went to church. I think the only time I went to church was on Christmas, where I could see the Christmas play and see the kids in the Christmas play. That was the only time I went to church. And for 11 years, that was our life, was out of the church, living for the world. 
I always, I've made the remark many times that I was so close to an alcoholic at the time our marriage ended that the only thing different I didn't go to the meetings because I drank that heavy. After the divorce, I was very fortunate enough to have custody of the four kids. And I went to live with my grandmother. And I was working and she was taking care of the kids. I was out partying and she was taking care of the kids. And she'd make sure they went to church. So after a while, I met my second wife. And we were discussing getting married. She made a statement. We're going to be bringing five kids up because she had one and I, my four. We've got to have a better life. There's got to be something better than what we're doing. So we started going to church with the kids. And one Sunday morning, after a few Sundays, a few, the wood's hard, but some, you know the saying of how that you can leave your wood print, your hand prints in the pews in front of you because you don't want to let go? I had a few of those, I think. But one Sunday morning, the Holy Spirit got a hold of the whole service. My heart was beating probably a thousand bumps a minute. I couldn't hold it in. It wanted to pop out. I remember stepping out of the pew. I do not remember going to the altar. I don't know if I ran or what, but I found myself kneeling at the altar. The men of the church were around me praying. I looked over, and my wife-to-be had already beat me down there. I mean, it was very close to, I'd say, we could have started a revival, the way those ladies and those men were praying. And God has just blessed us. When I finally got up from the altar, and I was a lot younger then, so I could bend over a little bit better. I could stay there a little longer. But when I got up, it just felt like a load had lifted off of me. The Lord had just taken it all. I walked out. I had a pack of cigarettes in the car. I crumbled them up and threw them away. I didn't need them anymore. I went home and I had quite a bar that was very well stocked. I poured everything down the drain. I couldn't I couldn't even wanted it even close. God took that away from me. The Lord is good. He's an almighty God. And we just don't realize how much he can bless us. We had our bumps. 
I'm not going to say it was perfect. Be frank with you, for a couple of years, we fell away. I looked at the world instead of the Lord. I took my eyes off of him. And it didn't take long to get right back into what I did before. But I found out that dead people weren't having as much fun as I was when I was a Christian. So we went back. We rededicated our lives. And from that day, I can really say that I think my faith and my strength has grown day to day. And he has blessed me all the years. And now, turmoils, yeah. Anytime you're bringing up five kids, you're going to have turmoils. Uh, but the Lord was good. And after 34 years of a beautiful marriage, she had been in a lot of pain, a lot of surgeries, and the Lord decided to take her home. I could have had the disaster right then, but I found out what it was to have a church family. They came and they just loved me. And I grew even stronger. And I don't think I'll ever grow completely strong, but I know that he's going to be with me. Now, after all that, and I threw myself into the church, and we would attend a Wesleyan church back in Ohio and Indiana. And I tried to do just about anything I could do in the church. I think I held every office going. Just anything to do for God. I wanted to do it. And after a while, I met another lady. Now, this lady had been in the church for 18 years. I'd been in there for 20, 25, 26 years. She had been in this church for 18 years. Her husband worked for me over General Motors. He, after late in his life, she led him to the Lord. And he ended up being one of my deacons there in the, I mean, one of my trustees there in the church. He passed away a few months before my wife passed away. And the church family and the Lord and just kind of worked it around where the Lord put us together. We've had a beautiful 11 years. It'll be 11 years next month. But we've had a beautiful 11 years. God is great. He is great. Now, we had the sorrow, and we have had that. Carolyn's daughter passed away about three years ago. And she had custody of of her grandson. And... The Lord blessed us by letting us take custody of the of our great grandson. 
Now, if you want everyone to challenge, <laughs> try being 74 years old and taking on an 11-year-old child. Boy, <laughs> it's a challenge. But we love him to death. And he has blessed our lives so much. And, you know, he blesses a lot of people's lives when, when he's around them. And I just pray, I pray so strong that I will be an influence in his life as my grandmother was in mine. And now, he's blessing me again. He just never stops to blessing you. And... We had talked about it, and I had made up my mind that I was just going to sit back and enjoy the service. I was going to come to church, and I was just going to sit back and enjoy. But the Lord has other things in store for me. What they are completely, I don't know. But I can't praise him enough for what he does for me. And I can't praise him enough for honoring me to be a deacon of his church. I thank the pastor and the deacons and you, the congregation. And I pray that I will be the best deacon I can possibly be. Because I do want to serve him with all I can do. And I want to serve you. I thank you. Jesus Christ is our perfect example in all things. He has a world-class leader and has demonstrated his servant leadership for his disciple in us. Listen to the word from the Gospel of Mark 10.45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Reading also from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time has come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Heaven loved his own, who were in the world. He now showed them that the fullest end of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judah Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he has come from God and it was returning to God. So he got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? 
Jesus replied, You do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you should never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hand in my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I'm your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you as an example that you should do as I have done for you. I'll tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know this thing, you'll be blessed if you do them. And I'll give the charge to the deacon. Ronnie Phelps, my friend and fellow laborer, do you promise to strive to so live that you may honor Christ by your life? And do you promise in the presence of this congregation to accept the responsibilities of the office of deacon in this church? And to the best of your knowledge and ability to discharge all the deacon or duties of this office, and now I'd like to invite all the men that are ordained, whether you're a pastor or a deacon, if you'll come up. Okay, what we're doing by this prayer is invoking God's blessing on this man and his ministry. And, of course, his wife, Carolyn, will be serving with him. Ronnie, you can join your beautiful wife. I also want to give a, a charge to the congregation this morning. This charge is to you. You members of this congregation, acknowledge this man as a deacon in this church. Do you promise to encourage and pray for him in this office and, and also to cooperate with him in the fulfillment of the mission of this church? If you do, would you just please indicate that to Ronnie and Carolyn by standing and showing your support? Amen. Amen. But it's great to be part of this family. Please have a seat. Thank you so much.